0: Hey, everyone. It is Friday, September 30th. I'm Moshe Wanunu, and you're listening to the Mo News Podcast. This is the place where we bring you just the facts from verified sources and a breakdown of what matters in the news. We read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. A heads up that I'll be putting out a bonus weekend edition later today. We'll try to make this a regular thing on Fridays. Uh, This week features a conversation I had with the producer of the new HBO documentary on the chaotic withdrawal from Kabul. It's called Escape from Kabul. We talk about some of the remarkable things he learned from new footage and interviews, including interviews with the Taliban. It's a it's a remarkable uh, documentary, really drilling down on those last 18 days there with some footage that I had never seen before. Now, as for this edition, there are a number of headlines we are watching as we head into another weekend. Today is September 30th, which means tomorrow, October starts. It really has been a fast month. We're starting to learn the scope of the damage in southwest Florida. It is immense. It is catastrophic. Ian, though, is a hurricane again just off the coast of Florida this morning and set to make a second landfall in the Carolinas or Georgia later today. Russia will be officially declaring 15% of Ukraine part of Russia today. The wife of Justice Clarence Thomas, Ginny, testified before the January 6th committee. I'll tell you about what she said. There are some revisions and a lawsuit related to Biden's student loan plan. You might have heard about the murderer that escaped prison in Nevada. We're getting details and an announcement last night that they found him again. And I'll end here with the new McDonald's plan to roll out Happy Meals for adults, legit. And they're gonna come with toys, cause why not? But I want to start with the devastation in Florida as officials there say they have already rescued several hundred people, but potentially have thousands to go across Southwest Florida. This is an area where more than 7 million people live that Ian impacted. As the floodwaters began to recede on Wednesday, we started to get the first look at the devastation, really apocalyptic scenes, entire communities where houses will need to be bulldozed. Emergency crews are still struggling to hit some of the hardest hit areas. That includes the Captiva-Sanibel area uh, just off the coast of Fort Myers there. Uh, The one causeway that connected everyone has been completely destroyed. Several sections collapsed. President Biden on Wednesday said that he will be visiting at some point when he's not a distraction uh, to uh, rescue workers there. He did say, though, that there will be a substantial loss of life. Sheriffs in the local area fear that hundreds could be dead once they are able to go house by house and see who stuck around, and who was able to make it out. The big issue right now is just the complete lack of communication. No internet, no phones, no electricity. Though FEMA has said they have been able to distribute more than a million meals, more than a million liters of water, power workers are starting to make their way through the nearly 3 million Floridians who lost power uh, and gradually restore it bit by bit. The sheriff of Lee County did a helicopter tour of the county. Uh, Lee County includes uh, Fort Myers Beach. He said when you look at it, there are no words to describe it. That includes the Fort Myers Times Square area. The pier is destroyed. Uh, As I mentioned, the uh, causeway to Sanibel Island. The devastation on those islands, they're still trying to get a sense of how widespread the devastation is. I saw an interesting comparison. uh, Russell Honore, who was key to the recovery of New Orleans after Katrina, uh, made the note that Katrina, New Orleans, was about 500,000 people and 80% had left the town. So they only had 100,000 or so uh, to deal with. And it was a confined area in New Orleans. Whereas this Florida area, you're talking about 100 miles of uh, coastline, Uh, and devastation in areas that have upwards of 7 million residents. And it's not limited to the coast. The Orlando area was also inundated with flooding. Uh, There were scenes uh, Tuesday into Wednesday of firefighters rescuing residents and assisted living facility. More than 100 of those residents uh, also uh, posted video of a TV reporter that caught a nurse that was trying to drive through waters uh, and was nearly inundated by them, saving her from the car ride. So the flooding really has taken place across the state. Several of you have sent me photos, also from the east coast of Florida, which also experienced the wrath of Ian. The governor of Florida, that's Ron DeSantis, said that rescue efforts were continuing uh, again by boat and by helicopter, especially to those outerlying areas. He said, "Quote: It got hit with a biblical storm surge." This could end up being one of the most, if not the most expensive storm in American history. Uh, The rebuilding effort here could take years, potentially a decade. And that is, of course, if every area chooses to rebuild, one of the key questions that's going to come up after this, given the types of storms we're continuing to see here, is whether insurance companies will still agree to insure certain areas uh, of Florida and whether taxpayers uh, in those various communities agree to continue to build uh, where they potentially could see future storms again. We have seen dozens of insurance companies go belly up in recent years from a variety of hurricanes across the Gulf Coast and East Coast uh, and then make the determination that they're no longer going to cover certain areas that they feel are now too vulnerable to these types of storms. As for what's next with Ian, he is not done yet. He's currently situated off the coast of Florida, headed northbound. Ian is set to make a landfall, again, a second landfall uh, off the coast of Carolina or Georgia, somewhere between Savannah and and charleston it is currently a category one will bring storm surge flooding and wind uh preemptively virginia north carolina south carolina and georgia have declared states of emergency anticipating uh the flooding and it is something we're gonna continue to monitor on friday and throughout the weekend as ian continues to uh, make its effects felt across the eastern seaboard a reminder that last year ida if you remember ida you might remember the storm down uh, in the south but ida remember dumped record amounts in uh, the New York area last summer. And so we need to continue to monitor Ian given the size of the storm uh, as it continues to make its way through the states over the course of the next couple days. All right, looking abroad here, the big story we're going to be watching today is out of Russia, where officially uh, they have planned celebrations in Moscow that they will be annexing. Four major regions of Ukraine, this is 15% of Ukraine, uh, as I've been telling you, uh, Vladimir Putin and the Russians held referendums in those regions, these are regions that they have taken from Ukraine since the start of the war in February. Uh, they say that those referenda found that anywhere between 83% and 99% of voters want to be part of Russia, though we should note that those referenda were done at gunpoint with soldiers in some cases going door by door, telling people to vote for this referendum. The spokesperson for the Kremlin, that's Dmitry Peskov, told reporters yesterday that the four regions of Ukraine, that is Luhansk, Donetsk, Kherson, and Zaporizhia, would be folded into Russia during this Kremlin ceremony. Vladimir Putin is expected to attend and give a major speech. Ukraine for its part is vowing to recapture those four regions as well as Crimea that was the territory that Russia took nearly a decade ago but Russia pledges to defend all of its new territory it now says that these four regions are now officially part of Russia they need to be defended like Russian territory which could and again the Russians keep doing this where they keep mentioning nuclear weapons but as far as Putin is concerned, he's able to effectively sort of declare victory here with the achievement of these uh, four regions, again, 15% of Ukraine. This is about the size of Maryland uh, that is now officially going to become part of Russia as far as the Russians are concerned, though uh, no other major uh, countries, the UN, the West, etc., unless they're a close Russian ally, are expected to recognize this annexation. Putting this in historical terms, by the way, this is literally going to be the largest land grab in Europe since World War II. This all comes as Putin on Thursday did something that he doesn't normally do. He acknowledged mistakes in how the Russian government has been carrying out its draft. We've been telling you about how Russia has been trying to draft 300,000 men, a sign that the Kremlin is trying to scramble to uh, bring people to the war front to continue the fight in Ukraine. But the big issue they've been facing in Russia is that there's been major discontent about this draft call we've told you about the hundreds of thousands of russian men that are trying to leave the country and have left the country as well as protests in the streets the uh sense in russia was that this war is going to happen but we're not going to have to be involved in it with the call for conscription uh they have become very upset so putin acknowledged mistakes he didn't say they were his mistakes he didn't apologize but he simply acknowledged mistakes which is still a pretty big deal For Putin. He said that the draft has raised, quote, many questions and all mistakes must be corrected and prevented from happening in the future. He continued, if a mistake is made, it must be corrected. Those who were called up without proper reason should be returned home. So it'll be interesting to see how that unfolds and whether that public discontent there. And I have one more story on the Russia front or related to the Russia front. We've been telling you about the uh, explosions and the closure and the leaks related to the Nord Stream gas pipelines. These are pipelines that run between Russia and Northern Europe, which at one point gave major amounts of natural gas that Europeans across the continent used to heat their homes and businesses. NATO warned yesterday that it will retaliate for any attacks on what it calls critical infrastructure for its 30 member countries. NATO, along with other Western officials, also uh, also argued on Thursday that it was definitely sabotage that caused the major damage along several points in the pipeline to those gas pipelines that run across the Baltic Sea. It came as the Swedish Coast Guard yesterday also found a fourth leak from the pipelines. Sweden, by the way, is in the process of joining NATO. Uh, we should note that the lines were not in operation, but they are leaking tons of methane. Methane is another word for natural gas which is a story for a separate day that the natural gas industry was able to rename methane natural gas. Either way, methane is being leaked from those pipelines. It is a major cause of global warming, actually uh, causes much more damage uh, to the environment and the atmosphere uh, than CO2. I've posted photos of this on my Instagram account. Uh, Energy experts believe it'll be bubbling through the weekend. So we're talking about two pipelines here. One was never open. The other one, Russia actually shut off earlier this year. They were effectively playing a game of chicken with the Europeans, trying to get them to lower sanctions on them to reopen uh, gas through the pipeline. So it was closed, though it is still leaking Methane, as I mentioned. The big issue here for Europe over the course of the past year has been that until the war, Europe got about 40% of its gas from Russia. That is now down to closer to 12 to 15%. uh, And they have to continue to find ways to replace that gas. That has meant that gas prices have skyrocketed. One of the reasons why inflation in Europe is so bad, different causes than here in the US. Uh, In the US, for what it's worth, we have an incredible natural gas supply and have been trying to figure out ways to help the Europeans a bit. Meanwhile, here at home, there is some news on the student loan front. The White House on Thursday scaled back eligibility for its student loan forgiveness plan. This is a major change from the initial announcement earlier this year. Borrowers whose federal student loans are guaranteed by the government, but now held by private lenders will now be excluded from receiving debt relief. That is nearly a million people who will be affected by that change. The Department of Education had initially said that these loans, many of which were either through the Federal Family Education Loan Program or the Federal Perkins Loan Program would have been eligible for this one time forgiveness action. Remember, it's anywhere between $10,000 and $20,000. But apparently, the government now scaled this back over concerns about lawsuits uh, that these companies that now uh, back or a guarantee. These loans would sue the Biden administration in court. And so political reports that the uh, White House decided to revise this plan. By the way, we should note that we are waiting on exact details from the government. We expect to hear an exact date in October when people can start applying for loan forgiveness. But one thing that everyone needs to be watching is the idea of lawsuits. Uh, Obviously, here they were trying to prevent a potential lawsuit, but it did come on Thursday as another suit was filed in federal court. This is by six states by the attorneys general in states like Missouri, Arkansas, Kansas, Nebraska, South Carolina, and Iowa. They are suing the White House, saying the Biden loan plan was, quote, economically unwise and inherently unfair, didn't follow uh, legal regulatory actions. They believe no statute actually permits Biden to relieve these millions of individuals through their loans. And so the Republican attorneys general of these six states uh, have decided to sue the Biden administration. This is in, They put this in a court in Missouri. Uh, they say that, student loan servicers are gonna be harmed by the forgiveness plan, so it'll remain to be seen whether even if you can apply for loan forgiveness in October, whether any of that is then frozen by this new lawsuit by those six states. Bottom line here is there's still about 40 million Americans eligible for the student loan plan, but the big question is, will it hold up in court, and will it be able to proceed while this uh, legal these legal maneuvers take place? Okay, a bit of good news if you know someone who has been impacted by Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS. A new drug won FDA approval on Thursday. It is a victory long sought for by patients, and in fact, they really fought for this. Okay, the drug is called Relivrio, and it comes from Amelix Pharmaceuticals. The FDA ended up going with approval here, despite the fact that they only had one small mid-stage study in which patients with ALS appeared to progress more slowly and survive several months longer when using the drug. Typically, the FDA requires either two large studies or one study with, quote, very persuasive survival results in order to approve stuff, though they made this approval today, the FDA did, based on one small mid-stage study where there was some progress shown. A reminder that about twenty to 30,000 Americans suffer from ALS. It is a disorder that destroys nerve cells needed for basic functions like walking, talking, and swallowing. The approval is giving uh, the loved ones of people suffering with the disease uh, some hope, though it is just the latest in a string of neurological drugs that have one FDA approval despite some questionable effectiveness data. Ahead of this newest vote, the FDA received more than 1,300 written comments from the ALS community supporting this treatment. And so under this intense pressure, they decided to go ahead with approval on Thursday. The price tag here is pretty significant, is expected to cost upwards of $160,000 to $170,000 a year. Though the pharmaceutical company has not officially disclosed the price, in Canada, where this drug received approval back in June, the company has proposed a price equating to $165,000. The prices here on many of the treatments for ALS are really astronomical, though, if you ask family members uh, whose loved ones are suffering from the disease, they are desperate, desperate for a cure, desperate for a drug that'll reverse the really debilitating effects of this terrible neurological disorder. Okay, a bit of news on the January 6th front in Washington on Thursday. Ginny Thomas, she's the wife of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas, uh, stood before the January 6th committee behind closed doors on Thursday and apparently stood by her claim that the 2020 election was fraudulent. She came voluntarily. They had requested her testimony, and apparently she sat for about a four-hour interview. A reminder, this committee is comprised by seven Democrats, two Republicans. That includes Liz Cheney. They've been trying to interview Ginny for months uh, about her role in trying to help former President Trump overturn his election defeat. She's been linked to text messages that she sent the former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows to encourage the president to keep protesting uh, the election, even after it was clear that he lost She also contacted lawmakers in Arizona and Wisconsin and is linked to a scheme to try to create fake electors. Uh, So they were trying to get more details on all of that, which is why they brought her in on Thursday. Reporters tried to ask Jenny Thomas questions coming out of it. She uh, just said, thank you for your question and smiled as she left. It'll be interesting to see what, if anything, they were able to learn from her. But what is notable is that we're now 18 months, more than 18 months since January 6th. And she continues to reiterate the baseless claim that the 2020 election was stolen. Okay, a bit of news out of the West where I was following this prison escape out of Nevada. Las Vegas authorities say they were able to finally capture a convicted murderer after he was on the lam for a week after he escaped the Southern Desert Correctional Center last week. The escapee's name was Porfirio Duarte Herrera. He is serving a life sentence for using a pipe bomb to kill someone back on the Las Vegas Strip over at the Luxor back in 2007. So last Friday, Duarte Herrera managed to swindle guards at that medium security prison by using a dummy, a cardboard dummy, uh, to fake them out. And then he somehow was able to access battery acid to corrode the window frame of his cell and escape. A representative of the union that represents prison guards in Nevada said that he either then hopped a fence or went through it. It took them uh, nearly a week to capture him, but they were able to capture him peacefully on Thursday night. But what we're learning from all of this is just how unguarded at times this prison is that includes murderers like him. Uh, The union chief said that the tower that would have had eyes on the unit Duarte was being held in. Uh, apparently has been unmanned for a couple years. The governor of Nevada is ordering an investigation. He released a statement this week saying this is unacceptable. My office has ordered uh, the Department of Corrections to conduct a complete and thorough investigation into this event as quickly as possible. This type of security lapse cannot be permitted. The unit that uh, he escaped from apparently includes 200 inmates, according to the union chief uh, for the corrections officers. He said, though, that the prison typically just has one officer working. They're often on overtime dealing with those 200 inmates. Okay, a couple final stories before we go for the weekend. Billionaire philanthropist Mackenzie Scott, formerly Mackenzie Bezos, is getting divorced from now her second husband, that's former science teacher Dan Jewett. Scott and Jeff Bezos were divorced just over four years ago. And now after less than two years of marriage to Jewett, a divorce filing has been filed in King County, Washington. She was previously married to Jeff Bezos for about 25 years until their divorce in 2019. She received at the end of that marriage a quarter of his Amazon stake, then worth $36 billion. She has since given away almost $13 billion to nonprofits. Forbes currently estimates her fortune still at $35 billion. That is due to Amazon's continuing rising share price since then. According to the divorce petition, Scott and Jewett have a separation contract, which is typically signed by couples when they legally separate, but have not yet been divorced. The agreement usually dictates how they will split up the assets. It is unclear whether he will get any of her billions. Uh, everything is being kept private for now. Jewett previously taught chemistry at a private school in Seattle, which was attended by Bezos' kids when the pair met. And it appears uh, that this marriage uh, is going to divorce after less than two years. Finally here, it turns out that Happy Meals are no longer just for kids anymore. McDonald's, for a limited time only, is releasing Happy Meals geared towards adults. In a post on Facebook, McDonald's says this is a chance for adults to revisit their childhood. They are partnering with fashion streetwear brand Cactus Plant Flea Market, For this project, starting on Monday for the month of October, McDonald's will be offering the Cactus Plant Flea Market Meal Box, where they say adults can get a taste of childhood nostalgia. By the way, it will come with a toy because obviously you can't have a Happy Meal without a toy, even if it's for adults. So McDonald's says that you will have the chance in your adult Happy Meal to either get a Hamburglar, Birdie, Grimace, or their newcomer mascot, Cactus Buddy. So, over the course of the next few weeks, if you drive through the McDonald's drive-thru and ask for a Happy Meal, they'll be asking you if it's for you or your kid. With that, a reminder to check out our bonus weekend episode. We'll be publishing it later today on the podcast feed. It is an interview with the producer and director of the new Kabul documentary, The Escape from Kabul, on HBO, really going inside the withdrawal from Afghanistan with new footage, new interviews, really getting a sense of what took place in those final weeks. It's pretty dramatic. Uh, but it's pretty educational. And I think you'll find the conversation uh, enlightening. So check that out later today on the feed. I want to thank you for listening to the Mo News Daily Podcast for the week. Uh, If anyone told you to wake them up when September ends, that's tomorrow. Uh, Green Day reference for those of you who missed it. And so tomorrow starts October 1st. I want to thank you for listening to all these episodes in this month of September. I promise we have a lot in store next month. Please make sure to follow or subscribe to the show on whatever app you're listening to us on. Uh, It'll ensure that you don't miss a single episode. Also, please take a moment to review the show in the App Store uh, on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're listening to us. The reviews make a difference help grow the show. They help us move up the ranks. So I appreciate all of you who have left incredible reviews for the show. A reminder that you can also subscribe to the Mo News newsletter over at monews.bulletin.com and follow me on Instagram at Mosha at M-O-S-H-E-H. I will see everyone slightly later today for the extra weekend edition podcast and then back here for the daily edition on Monday.